have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. And if you're an expert with your sword, how many know the Bible is a sword, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit? How many of you, I was raised, we used to do sword drills. Does anybody remember what a sword drill is? If you don't know what a sword drill is, it was what we did like in children's church or what we did sometimes even in, in youth, back then we called it youth ministry, but you had your Bible and somebody would call a, a verse and you had to see who could find it the fastest. Right, and so, uh, anyways, and there was always that one guy that was leading it, and and he wanted to have fun, so he would call things like Obadiah, and and you know half of us didn't even know Obadiah was in the Bible. Everybody like who is Obadiah, you know? But anyways, um, but grab your Bible, turn with me, Matthew twenty one, Ephesians chapter two, and I'm just here comes the warning, the warning for today, the warning is there's a warning. It is not a normal sermon. In fact, I wrote a very good hermeneutical, homiletical kind of message because I've always wanted to preach a really good Palm Sunday message. How many know it's Palm Sunday? And then God just totally messed all that up. And so I don't even know what I'm about to say really other than I did kind of preach it one time in the 815 already. But God just began, especially after prayer on Monday, the presence of God came and it was so powerful. We didn't know what to do. And it was so powerful. We weren't sure if we were supposed to pray or worship or just sit or stand or kneel. And so all that was going on in the room at the same time as people just responded to God's presence. And God really began to deal with me about something. And it caused me to be a little bit reflective um, and think about some things, and God just, as the week went on, stirred my, so I'm just going to talk to you from my heart today. So I don't necessarily have a great message, but I'm just going to talk to you from my heart. And so we're in Matthew chapter 21. Now this is what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So if you don't know what Palm Sunday means or why it's called Palm Sunday, um, this, is, this was the, the Sunday, obviously, before Passover, before the arrest of Jesus, before the crucifixion and obviously the resurrection. And so this is the last time Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he enters in on a donkey's colt or a small donkey. Um, and uh, the people, the fame of Jesus uh, had spread and people were looking to him as a savior, but they didn't understand maybe what they needed to be saved from. But they are looking to him as the possible Messiah or the Savior. And so as he's coming into Jerusalem, they're laying palm branches in the, in the street. And they're laying cloaks and coats and things in the street for him to kind of his processional, if you will, in, into the city of Jerusalem. And they're shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, so we celebrate that as the beginning of Passion Week or the beginning of Holy Week. And so um, that's what kind of today signifies. And so we're going to read about it in chapter 21 of Matthew. It's in all four Gospels. We're going to read about it from Matthew's Gospel. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, um, if anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord has need of them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Now he's going to quote from the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter nine, in fact, verse nine. Uh, but it says, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey 
on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did Jesus had instructed, and they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those followed, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers, a den of robbers. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy. God, today we want to hear you open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears. Speak to us today, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about recovering your passion. Recovering your passion. Um, I, I, was, I spent a lot of time in Central and South America um, because I was doing missions work. And, and I, remember, I remember the first time I encountered Holy Week. It was in Comiagua, Honduras. Um, and I'd never really seen anything like it. Um, there it's Semana, uh, Semana Santa or Semana de la Pasión, um, and it's the week of Passion or Holy Week. And I remember we were, I was trying to get downtown because I was meeting someone, and I didn't understand. It was, it was the Monday before Easter, and I was trying to get downtown, and, and you couldn't get downtown. It was all like all the traffic was stopped. You know, I mean, cars were just parked everywhere and, and in the streets. And no, there were no cars in the streets, by the way. They were blocked off. And, and in the streets were these big carpets that had been hand-woven, very colorful, um, beautiful, laid up and down, like brand new, up and down the streets. And, and then I watched as there's these parades and school is let out and school bands are there and, and people are dressed in these... Uh, very like ornate outfits, and they're parading up and down the streets and singing and chanting, and and they're even carrying the crucifix, and 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 I'm like, what is going on? Like, it, what is this? You know, because in America, like I, I hadn't seen this in America, and and they're like, oh, this is Holy Week, this is Passion Week. And, and kind of the city shuts down and everyone comes out. And even though Comiagua, Honduras, and Honduras in general is predominantly Catholic, they're still, you know, they're stopping everything to celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus. And I started thinking about, hey, in a minute, so this is the question, what do y'all do in America? I'm like, well, we get Friday off. Everybody goes to the zoo and plays golf. And they're looking at me like, What? And I'm like, yeah, no carpets, no towns shutting down, no cities shutting down, no parades. And, and this guy's like, I can't believe this. Like, what, what in the world? But, but it's passion. And, and this week is, is about passion, passion week. And as, as I start really thinking about this week, and God began to stir my heart about some things, especially in light of prayer, just some other things, and talked to our pastors this week, and 
And I'm just going to be honest with you. Is that okay? And I started thinking about it, and I'm like, um, I wonder where my passion is. I wonder where my passion is. Like, like I wonder on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most passion I could have, 1 being the least. Like, where's my passion for Jesus? Where, where, would, I, where would I rate it? And, and if I had to be honest with you, and I will, <laughs> I, I would say, you know, is it an 8? No, I don't think so. Now I thought, maybe it's a seven. I'm not so sure it's a seven. Now, I'm not saying that I don't love God. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I'm leaving the ministry and going to go do something else or something like that. No, that's not what I'm saying. Do I still have prayer time every day? Yeah. Do I still read my Bible? Absolutely. Do I love being a pastor? Sure I do. Do I love people? Yes. But I'm talking about my passion for Jesus. Where's that at? Is that really a 10? Is it a... Is it a five? And then the question that followed was this question. Wherever that is, is it really acceptable for it to be anything less than 10? Like, like is, it, is it okay to say, you know, Jesus, like, I love you, but only like to a five. And, and I know you understand that because life's just kind of busy and hard. And I've just kind of been, you know, there's just other things that have to get done. There's just other things more important. Like I love you so much and I'm so passionate about you, but I spent six hours on Instagram and six minutes in your word this week. Like I talked to our pastors and they even admitted, hey, maybe our passion's not where it needs to be either. And we had a great meeting just talking about that. But I asked them, I said, what do you think our church is passionate? And I brace yourself because they love you and I do too. But we just said, we had to get an average pathway person across the board. Because I know some of you are like, I'm passionate. Like I'm ready to die for Jesus. Okay, just, we know you are, Baba. But uh, just across the board, I said, do you, I, here's the thing. We never got to a number, but I don't think it would have made five, honestly. And I'm just being honest. How many know Jesus was full of grace and Jesus was full of truth? And I think the problem with the Western culture is grace doesn't change us, truth does. When we're all grace, that's like giving people anesthesia but never doing the surgery. Grace is the anesthesia, truth is the surgery. And grace doesn't change you because it just keeps putting you to sleep by telling you it's all going to be okay. When truth comes in and says, hey, if you want it to be okay, we have to make an adjustment. We have to get fixed something. We have to take something out if you really want it to be okay. And so today we're going to have grace and we're going to have truth. Because honestly, think about this, think about this. We say, oh, because we all know if I said, hey, are we supposed to be passionately in love with Jesus? Yes. Are we supposed to be a 10? Yes. Is anything else really acceptable? No. How could it be? How could anything less than a 10 be acceptable? Right? That, that's kind of like telling your spouse, like if I called Jenna today and said, Jenna, you know what? You're my wife and I love you, but you know, probably about a four. You know, but that should be okay because it's been a hard week. Maybe I'll love you more next week if, if things go well. Like, can we really say we're passionately in love with Jesus? Do you know what the word passion means, by the way? Do you know where the word came from? The word passion is a 12th century Latin word that, that actually 
is ascribed to Jesus. In other words, they were trying to explain what would make Jesus do what he did, to suffer the way that he suffered. And so in the 12th century, they, they came up with this word, the passion of the Christ. You guys remember that movie, by the way, The Passion of the Christ? True story. I only watched it one time. I had a private viewing with some pastors, cried through the whole thing, and thought I could never watch that again. But remember The Passion of the Christ? When, when we talk about the word passion, you know what it actually means? Endure suffering. Endure suffering. And, and when they said, we want a word to describe the suffering that Jesus did and what motivated it, what prompted it, because we know passion is the great motivator. Everybody you love is because they're passionate. Everyone you follow is because they're passionate. Everyone that's successful is because they had passion. Anyone who changes the world in any way, it's because they had passion. We love people who have passion, but we live in a world where no one has passion. Everybody's just angry, and anger and passion are not always the same thing. Like I thought, is our culture passionate? I don't think they are. We're all numb. At best, you can get everybody angry about something, but passionate, not so much. There are people today angry at Trump. There are people today angry at the Democrats. There are people today angry about guns. There are people angry about the people who are angry about guns. We're angry about everything, but no one's willing to suffer for anything. And change doesn't come until someone suffers. I'm passionately in love with Jesus, Pastor. Well, let's just look at the church in general. So, Because I don't want you to be offended at me because I love you. The average church attender comes once every five weeks. I'm passionately in love with Jesus so much I can come almost once a month to his house. The idea of passion being suffering and, and our idea of suffering is having, having to get out of bed and come to church instead of just turn on the live stream. But I want you to know, if you watch the live stream, we love you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like I was thinking about it in my own life. I'm like, if passion is about suffering, I, I don't, in the Western church, you don't have to suffer. In the Western church, we just all pray a prayer and wait to go to heaven and live our lives. Tell me I'm wrong. In fact, in the Western church, um, it's so uncomfortable for people to walk to the front to give their lives with Jesus. We make everyone bow their heads, close their eyes, and you just slip your hand up and we say a prayer all together so no one knows it's really you that needs to for be forgiven of your sin. Because that would be uncomfortable to say, I'm a sinner in need of the Savior. That'd be uncomfortable to actually walk to the front and say, I want to be forgiven of my sins so I don't burn in eternal damnation. Like, Jesus hung, Jesus hung naked on a cross for my sin, but walking to the front, Pastor, you're asking a lot of me. That's uncomfortable. And I thought about it in my own life. Like, I haven't really suffered for my faith. I mean, my idea of suffering is trolls on Instagram that don't like a post. And they're out there, y'all. And they're funny. Or maybe my idea of suffering is people that I really tried to love well, lead well, serve well as a pastor eventually get mad at something and leave here and just crucify me every chance they get with their tongue. Tell everybody I'm crazy or whatever. Like that's, I mean, that, that hurts. It does hurt. I don't know what qualifies as suffering. You know what I'm saying? 
I don't know if that qualifies as that. And we say we're passionately in love with Jesus. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I thought about this too, because I was thinking about the church attendance, like the Barna's survey, the average church attender comes one, once every four to five weeks. And, and I thought about this, and I thought about um, how if I was passionately in love, let's say, Jana, here's my wife, I love you so much, I'm going to try to visit you once a month for at least an hour, but I'm probably going to be late, you know, probably get there halfway during the worship, you know, but, um, but I am passionately in love with you. I'm so passionately in love with you. If you, if the pastor talks about money, I'm leaving the church and going to find me a church where they don't talk about money. That's none of his business. And you read the book of Acts where it says they, lay, they came and they laid all that they owned at the feet of the disciples. Now that's passion. What's the other? Selfish. It's hard for Jesus to be the center of your life when you're the center of your life. And I just thought about this because I thought in my own life, I think there's some places I'm kind of the center of my life. I think there's some places where I don't want to serve the way I used to serve and I don't want to do what I used to do. I'm still doing my job. Absolutely. I still love my job. I still love the people. But we're talking about passion. And that's different. And I thought about this text because this text is full of passion. It's full of passion. They came out laying their coats in the street throwing palm branches, cutting them down. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It's full of passion. The people, the whole town is stirred. The whole town is moved, right? Do, do you know the last thing that I would ever want is for people to come to church and, and the church not be full of passionate people? Because people without passion is a poor advertisement for a very passionate God. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and I see all this passion in, in the text stirring the whole city. Then I see the passion of Jesus because he goes psycho Billy Ninja up in the temple, everybody. Like he gets in the temple and they're taking advantage of people by selling them sacrifices and making money off people who are trying to be devoted to God or whatever. And, and it has nothing to do with Jesus, has nothing to do with God. In other words, they made church about everything except God. You want to know the biggest thing I've repented for this week? I think I did it with a good motive, but I've been guilty probably the last two years of trying to get people to be more passionate about church than passionate about Jesus. Because we live in a day where everybody has an excuse not to go to church and everybody can just stay home and watch the live stream. And ultimately, I know you need to be in the presence of God and you need to be in the house of God. And I can go through all the scripture and I can explain all the reasons why. And now can church, church has become so consumer focused. I was talking to Jana the other day about a situation and and she said, I don't understand that. And I said, well, in East Texas, people change churches like they change socks, honey. Like as soon as, some, as soon as I don't like something, something goes too long. The pastor says a little something I don't like. Somebody, you know, I remember one time this family got offended, harbored resentment for two years or three years, and then left the church because of a 19-year-old who was on our student ministry team. That's several years ago. But these are grown adults. 
and they got offended about something a 19-year-old may or may not have done because the truth was we couldn't ever determine that. They did, and what they did do wasn't even sin. It just rubbed them the wrong way. And after two years, they finally left. And I said, that's what they, for two years, they sat here bitter and mad about, you should have met, if you want to be offended, you should have met me when I was 19. I could offend you very quickly. And it'd been a lot more than that. And I thought, how foolish, after years in a church serving and giving, you get upset and leave about what a 19-year-old that is being pastored, who is growing in her faith, who loves Jesus and wants to change the world. Is she perfect? No, but I don't know about you, but I was a little far from perfect at 19 too. And I've got a whole list of dumb reasons to get offended in church, but I won't go through it. That'd be a different sermon. Do you know an offense, let me just say this, just because I feel it. An offense is a, an event, being offended is a choice. And we have a, a culture that loves to be offended about everything. Okay, let me get back to the Bible. <laughs> but I see all this passion, and Jesus is clearing out the temple. And I had to apologize. I said, Lord, you know, I want people to come to church and I know they need to come to church. And, and nowadays church ministry feels like, it kind of feels like Sam's and Costco. All churches are the same. Just pick the one that does it your way or has the service time that you want or offers the, like, the coffee you like to drink or, or the one that, here's the truth, pick the church that asks the least of you. And if the going gets tough, don't stay in your calling. Just find you a new church. Because I, I live from a generation that where God called us to churches. And we went not because they did everything right or they did everything the way I wanted. We went because God told me to go. But that's old school. A little bit OG here. I know I look young, but I'm OG in the middle. OG on the inside. And then I thought about how we lose our passion because you know what's crazy about this? There's a parade for Jesus and people are throwing their coats and they're throwing palm branches and they've got their palms up. I almost called it passionate palms, everybody. Got their palms up, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Five days later, their fists are up, crucify, crucify, crucify. This is how I know Jesus knows what it's like to be a pastor, y'all. In five days, you can go from Hosanna to crucify. Is that too real? Apparently. But I thought what it's like to lose your passion. Because to me, I'm like, you know what? I, I think I've lost my passion in some ways. I don't think it's where it should be. And I started looking at this, and I said, well, how did they lose their passion? How did they go from Hosanna to crucify in five days? I mean, don't you know we're a little bit fickle as humans? I mean, can we just be honest about that? We, we are a little bit. I am. In my own life. I mean, there's been one week where I'm like, oh, on top of the world, Jesus is moving. And the next week's like, Jesus does not even love me, y'all. We're a little bit fickle. That's why you don't live by feelings, because feelings can change everybody. Two reasons I, I saw in the text that I think they lost their passion that are applicable for me and maybe so for you. Number one is they focused on what instead of who. In other words, they were focused on what they wanted Jesus to do for them, not who Jesus was. Um, 
Hosanna doesn't mean praise the Lord. Hosanna means save now. In other words, they wanted him to come save them now. Save them from what? Because he was coming to save them now. No, no, no. They wanted to be saved from Rome. He wanted them to be saved from death. So they're thinking this is the Messiah and he has come to lead a revolution and he has come to save us from the Romans. He's going to start an uprising and we're going to overthrow Roman authority and we're going to be a free people. And so they wanted to be free from Rome. He wanted them to be free from sin. And because he didn't do it the way they wanted it done, they lost their passion. Because he didn't come the way they wanted him to come. In fact, if you think about it, he came the wrong way. A king's supposed to come on a steed. <laughs> come on. It's, I felt like this now is a scene from, from Shrek because Jesus is on the donkey. You called me a steed. She called me a steed, Shrek. Everybody loved parfait. Anyways. But he's supposed to, as a conquering king, come on this big, this big horse, like a war horse. And instead, he's riding on a donkey's colt. And why? Because he's trying to tell them who he is, not what he's going to do. It, they knew Zechariah chapter 9. They knew the king is going to come riding on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus came and look, he came away. They, wasn't, they weren't expecting him to come. And he was working to do something they weren't really understanding that he was going to do. In other words, he didn't come the way they wanted him to come. He didn't do what they wanted him to do. He didn't move the way they wanted him to move. And when that didn't happen, they lost their passion. I remember talking with someone one time, and, and they had been through a difficult situation, no doubt. But this person looked at me, and they said, Pastor, you know, right now I'm just working on forgiving God. Pause. I think there are times in ministry where even as a pastor, some explicatives are warranted. That would have been one of those times. What the tacos are you talking about? You're trying to forgive God. Well, because he didn't do what I needed him to do because I went through something difficult. I went through something hard. Not, not taking that away. We go through hard things. They had gone through a hard thing, and obviously I'm very compassionate but what is wrong in our world? What is wrong in our heads? When all of a sudden we think that God's supposed to explain everything to us and do everything, and he's only worthy to be God if he does what we want him to do, how we want him to do it, when we want him to do it. And if he doesn't, we need to forgive him. Like, what is wrong with the Western church when it's like all of a sudden God is our genie in the bottle and God is called to serve us and we're not called to serve God. You do understand all the disciples with the exception of John were martyred for their faith. Like they didn't get Bentleys and jet airplanes and live in nice houses in Malibu. Could you imagine Peter on his way to the cross? His cross, not Jesus' cross because he was hiding from that one. But when, Jesus, when Peter was put to death, and he's on his way to be crucified. Him saying, you know, God, I thought you were really God. And here I am, I'm going to suffer. And this isn't working out right. I thought I was going to get a TV program for being one of the 12. In fact, I was going to call it one of the 12. 
You know what Peter says? You crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus. That's passion, friend. No wonder God used him. Because we know Peter didn't always get it right. He cut ears off. Right? He denied Christ. But he was passionate. So they were more focused on what than, than who. Here's another one. They were more focused on comfort than calling. See, Israel was called to be the nation that showed God to the world. But for God to show, for God to be shown to the world, they had to go through some things. They had to live in the world, and sometimes just living in the world puts you through some things. That doesn't have anything to do with God. That has to do with a fallen world. What happens when my calling gets uncomfortable? What happens when I pray for God to use me and that prayer for God to use me leads me into an uncomfortable place? You know, I remember telling us that years ago, years ago, but a staff person, and we were adding a third service for the first time. This was years, probably eight years ago. I don't know, a long time ago. And I remember the staff person said, I just don't know if I can do all three services. And, and I didn't say anything in the moment. I went aside later and talked to the person. I said, you know, I think you just have to decide whether you want to walk in calling or be comfortable. And they did. They resigned. And they went, I guess, to become comfortable. But what I know is you can't be comfortable and walk in your calling. And I know that because anytime, listen, the more comfortable you get, the farther away from your calling you are. And I kind of had to look at my own life this week and realize, whoa, I'm comfortable in some areas. And I'm saying, God, use me. And at the same time, I'm saying, God, make me comfortable. And those prayers... <laughs> Those prayers are not congruent. They're mutually exclusive, really. God use me and God make me comfortable. And I thought, you know, now, now in the Western church, I wonder which prayer God hears the most from us. I wonder which prayer God hears the most from me. Because I'd love to say it's God use me, but I'm afraid if I added it all up, I'm afraid God's here and God make me comfortable more than God use me. For me, and I'm the pastor. One of the things that we love about Jesus is the passion of the Christ, his passion. Luke chapter 9 says something cool because it says, as, as time approached essentially for his sacrifice, Jesus set his face on Jerusalem. There is this focus to step into the discomfort that we see from Jesus. That's why we love him. Because how many of you know Good Friday is good for us, but it wasn't anything good for Jesus? So what do we do if we lose our passion? Like if you're here and you were brave enough and courageous enough to evaluate your own passion for God and, and you gave it a number and it's less than 10. Can we get to 10? I don't know, but we can sure try. But what if your passion's a three? I think making it a four would be a great testimony to God. If your passion's a five, I think making your passion a six would be an incredible testimony to God. Again, a passionless church 
is a horrible example, is a horrible reflection of a passion-filled God, of a passionate God. The Bible, Jesus actually tells us how to get our passion back. You can read this in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, he's talking to the church of Ephesus. A lot of, a lot of great things, and I'm going to have to hurry through this, but a lot of great things. But Ephesians, I'm sorry, Revelation 2, verse 2, it says, God, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have preserved and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I mean, in other words, here, Jesus is kind of saying, add a boy. He kind of is, y'all. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Here's what he's saying. The problem I have with you is not around your duty. It's around your devotion. That's, that's what he said. Essentially, you know what he's kind of saying in a way? Your duty has replaced your devotion. You're still doing good things. But I want to talk to you about the heart. He says, I, I, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent. Now, this is, very, this is a warning. Here's the warning. If you do not repent. In other words, if you, if you don't change here, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Here's what he said. Here's the danger. Like we talked about passion. Like you can't change the world without passion. You really can't be a great husband, father, wife, mother, whatever without passion. You can't really be successful without passion. I mean, that is the one common denominator in anybody that does anything. What sets us apart is our passion. By the way, what's supposed to set church people apart is our passion, right? So many times I hear this nowadays, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners and that's, you know, that's why I hit the clubs and the bars and stuff like that. Cause you know, Jesus hung out with sinners. I'm like, you're a moron. <laughs> you know, Jesus loves sinners. That's why I'm on Tinder. I'm just trying to be a light in a dark place. You're an idiot. Jesus didn't hang out with sinners, y'all. Sinners hung out with Jesus. That's a big difference. When, when, when Christians hang out with sinners, they usually become more like the sinners. But when sinners hang out with Christians, they can become more like the Christians. Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners hung out with Jesus. And they did it because he was different, and what made him different was his passion. There's places in the Bible that record, no one said the things he said. No one did the things he did. No one spoke with the passion that uses the word authority. But I think without hurting the text, we can say no one spoke with the passion that this man spoke with. And so here's what he says. If you lose your passion, this is the warning, you lose your place. If you lose your passion, he's talking to the church. He said, listen, I want to use you. And there's this lampstand which signifies the anointing of God or the Holy Spirit in the church. It's a light that draws people in. It's a light that draws in the lost and the hurting. But he's saying this. He's saying, hey, without passion, you can't help them. Without passion, you can't make a difference. Without passion, you can't change the world. And I love the lost so much, I will not send them to a church that doesn't have passion. And so he said, if you lose your passion, you're going to lose your place. Like I said, you can apply it to anything, by the way. If you lose your passion in your marriage, you're going to lose your marriage. If you lose your passion in your business, you're going to lose your business. 
you apply it wherever you want, but once you lose your passion, you lose your place. And so he, he kind of says three things. You can write these down. Here are my three observations about what he said. I'm going to give you these. We're going to pray, and then we're going to let God work. But here's the three things. Number one, this is kind of what he says. Number one, he says, uh, you, we, don't, we don't lose passion. We leave it. That's what he said, number one. We don't lose passion. We leave it. He said, you have forsaken your first love, meaning you, you left it. You moved away from it. And, and, and it wasn't, he's not saying that you meant to. I, I think a lot of times we lose our passion, it's like it, passion leaks. You know, it's like, a, it's like when you say a slow fade. Like in my own life, I didn't decide I don't want to be passionate for Jesus anymore. No, I love God. But I'm evaluating myself and I'm saying, you know what? I'm not as passionate as I used to be. I'm not as passionate as I need to be. What happened? And I realized maybe it was life. Maybe the devil's really good at distractions. I have walked through difficulty, and it has been emotion. I think we live in a culture that's emotionally depleted. The great thing is, I'll give this a minute, passion is not emotion. They're different. But the point is, he's saying, hey, you, you didn't lose it. You, you left it. You, and I thought about this. I thought, maybe I've done like them. I've replaced devotion with duty. Like, like I'm still reading my Bible, but I'm not excited to get up and do it. I remember back in the day, man, I loved to get up and read. Now it's like, okay, 6 o'clock, got to get up, got to read the Bible, got to be a pastor. I think we need to just acknowledge that we don't actually lose our passion. If we're without passion, we left it. If you're without passion in your business, you left it somewhere. If you're you're without passion in your marriage, you left it somewhere. It, It leaked out. Maybe there was offense. Maybe there was difficulty. Maybe there was trial. Maybe there was struggle. Maybe there was distraction. I don't know. But it leaked out. And, you, and slowly over time, you just kind of moved away. Decision by decision. I just won't go today. Like I went last week. And we can just watch online. Just, just kind of. Here's the second thing. Second thing. You, you write this down. Is that um, we don't feel passion. We choose it. We don't feel passion, we choose it. Here's what he says. He says, repent. You've forsaken your first love, repent and do what you did at first. You've forsaken your first love, repent. What's the word repent mean? Well, if you know this from the Greek, it means change your mind. Change your mind. In other words, make a decision. In other words, remember we didn't lose our passion, we left it. What happened was we chose something else, and we chose something else, and we chose something else, and we chose something else. And he's saying, hey, if you want to come back to passion, it's not something you feel, it's something you decide. Think about what Jesus said. They, they came to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Notice he didn't say, feel like loving God. What's the greatest commandment? Try to feel good about God. Try to really feel it. No, he said, you make a decision. You choose. 
Love the Lord your God. It's like a command. What is the greatest commandment? Love. How can God command love? Because love is not a feeling. It's a choice. So what's wrong with our culture. We're driven by our feelings. We have people changing their gender over the way they feel today. It's dangerous to let feelings drive the bus of your life. And we're all hooked on a feeling. I am believing. That's my, I, every now and then I work in a little audition for the worship team. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to get called up to the big leagues, y'all. But I'm just saying we're all hooked on these feelings. And somehow we think that's supposed to be God. Like I'm just supposed to be hooked on the feeling of God. No, love the Lord your God. Make a decision. See, the truth is you direct your passion. You direct your passion. Did you know that? You steward it. You direct it. In fact, you want proof of this? You want to know the king? One of the kings we love to talk about because he's the most passionate king. You know this? David. We love him because he's so passionate. You know, he comes out as a teenager. Here's this giant. And he's like, you come to me with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord and with, you know, some leather and a rock. And we're like, I love him. Before there was Braveheart, there was David, the shepherd boy. Like we want to, we want to have his face painted blue or something. You know what I'm saying? Freedom! But you know why David messed up? Not because he lost passion, but because he directed it the wrong way or didn't direct it the right way. The Bible says at the time that kings went out to war, David stayed home. Staying home, if you read right after that, he sees Bathsheba on a rooftop taking a bath. And we have the greatest falling of, and the greatest failing of King David. What happens? When I don't direct my passion in the way it's supposed to go, it will direct me in a way I'm not supposed to go. I choose. I direct my passion. And I can be passionate about golf. I can be passionate about hunting. I can be passionate about something political or, or some good cause. Or I can be passionate about God, and I choose that. I don't need emotion. I don't need a feeling. I need a decision. I need to decide today. Who will I serve? Decide today. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my strength. It's a decision. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. We don't need emotion. We need action. Like if we're trying to recover our passion, we don't need emotion. We need action. Here's what he says. You've forsaken. You left something. Right? He said, so repent. Change your mind. Make a decision. And then he said, do what you did at first. Like I was thinking this week about being in Bible school. Be in Bible school dreaming of doing what I'm doing today, right? In Bible school where nobody had let me preach and they were wise to not let me preach because I had all zeal and I had all passion, but I didn't know nothing. My grandfather would have told you, you don't know, come here from Sikkim. I wasn't even sure back then what that meant. I understand what it meant now, but Pop had all these phrases. You don't know, come here from Sikkim. If you're like, I don't know either. If, 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 if you don't know the difference between come here and go get them, you know. Yeah. So anyways, you don't know the difference between come and go. It, you know, essentially. All right. Are you with me? And here's the truth. I didn't know all the stuff I know today. I couldn't preach the way I preach today. I couldn't lead the way I lead today. I wasn't as, as I guess, as trained as I am today. 
But you know what I had? I had passion. I might be preaching something straight up heresy, but nobody would preach it harder than I would. And passion. Now, I remember how I would be at Bible school and I go to chapel and I get so moved by whatever missionary or whoever was speaking that day that I would think, man, I've got enough time before work to run to my dorm room and pray for an hour. Being in Bible school where you prayed before every class started, you had to go to chapel. We had to go to chapel every freaking day of the week. Their thought was if we keep them in church, they can't sin. That was their thought. Got to keep them in church. Our dorms would have worship nights on top of all the services. Half of us served at other churches around the area. You know what I'm saying? And we were on the worship team here. We were ushering here. We were helping here. And like at that particular time in my life, I was leading worship with one of our professors helping a church plant in, in Waco. And so my week was like, I'm in church all day and I'm in chapel all week. And my thought though, my thought was, I've got an hour. I'll go pray that God will use me like God used that woman. That God will use me like God used that man. Like I just want God to use me. And back then I can promise you my prayers were more about God use me than God make me comfortable. And I would pray and I just thought, God, I remember that. I remember how in love with you. I went to church all the time. When my church wasn't having church, I just found another church that was having church to go to church. I remember driving an hour to go to a prayer meeting with six um, older ladies. It was me. And, and, and after that, I was the only male and the only one under 65. And I was so happy those women knew how to pray. And they got around me and they started praying, probably like fresh meat, you know what I'm saying? Like, get him, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? But I remember driving an hour, I said, I'm gonna come back next week. It's a Tuesday, I don't have anything else to do. I'm gonna come back and pray with you ladies again next week. I just wanna be in God's house. I just wanted God to use me. And you know what he says? He says this. You realize you didn't lose it, you left it. Realize it's not a feeling, it's a decision. And realize it's not an emotion. You have to do what you did at first, it's an action. I'm telling you, if you wanna recover your passion in anything, do what you did at first. What did you do when you first fell in love with him or her? Like, sir, ask her out on a date. We've been married 34 years. I know it'd freak her out too, ask her out on a date. Like actually make a plan. it comes to our faith and passion for God instead of sitting around hoping we'll become more passionate waiting to become more passionate waiting on something to move us here's what Jesus Jesus says do what you did at first if you want your passion back it may be that you need to join a serve team. It may be that you need to get up in the morning and read your Bible. It may need me be that, that you need to make sure you pray. I remember in my life, you know, in a less structured time in my life, but especially early on, if I got to the end of the day and I'd not had a real prayer time, now let me explain the difference. I'm not talking about a drive-through Hail Mary prayer time because y'all all know what I'm talking about, where you didn't have time to pray that morning, so you're now on your way to work. You're like, Jesus, now bless the kids and keep us safe and help my husband today and, or help my wife today or whichever one it is, drive through. I'm talking about 
touching heaven prayer time. I wouldn't go to bed. I wouldn't go to sleep. I couldn't sleep until I'd prayed. I'd get down beside my bed and I'd pray. And that, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to give. Maybe we need to serve. Maybe we need to join one of our compassion and you know compassion week teams. Probably you do. Maybe you need to be at prayer. I know some people are like, Pastor, these are all things you want us to do. Let me help you. No. These are things God wants you to do. Listen. Don't, don't disregard what God wants you to do because it has to come through the mouth of a man that you may or may not like today. That may have offended you or may not have or that you may not know, or that you may not trust, or whatever reason, or I went to church one time, the pastor was a bad pastor, and now I don't trust pastors. I can't help that. I've been bitten by sheep, I can't tell you how many times. I won't judge you by the sheep that bit me, and you don't judge me by the shepherd that beat you. Are you with me? I'm just saying, these are things, what do we do? You gotta put action to it. Does that make sense? So here's what we're gonna do. I want you to stand. That'd help you know I'm really finished. And this is the way we're gonna end. I'm gonna invite you in just a minute to come stand with me at the front. Now, I'm, I'm the first one here because I'm already here because I wanna be the first one here. And this is what I'm saying. God, I need my passion back. It, it's less than a 10 and it shouldn't be. And especially this time of year as we approach Passover and the crucifixion and the resurrection like Jesus, this is the time passion should be at an all-time high. This is the time I should be loving and serving and giving and doing and praying and reading. This, this, is, this is when that should happen. And I'm not going to let the devil rob me of this week. And I'm not going to live a passionless life. Like, you know, like Ephesus, God, we're called to change the world. But we can't do it without passion. So God, I want to change the world more than I want to be comfortable. This is my prayer. You, you make your own, but I'm just telling you mine. And so if you want to join me at the front, we're just going to pray together and then we're going to be dismissed. But I just want you to come. Say, hey, that's me. I need to recover my passion. Come on, it's okay. Nothing up here is going to, going to get you. And yeah, you can come, you can stand, you can kneel. We're just, we're just gathering around the front. Why? Because it takes action. It takes action. And you say, well, it's crowded. That's okay. Just step out into the aisle. It doesn't matter. The point is just to make a movement, to tell God, God, I'm moving. Like, you know, God, I, I, I want my passion back. I'm, I'm going to put this in action today. I'm going to take a first step today. And then we're just going to pray, God, today, God, here we are. Like, here we are, God. And God, ultimately, we're just here saying, God, we love you. We've, a lot of us, most of us, probably been very faithful. We've, we've been dutiful, if you will. We, we still read, we still pray, we still serve, whatever the case may be, but but God, honestly, if we're being honest, we've lost some passion along the way. God, I have. And Lord, I am so sorry that I have worked so hard to get people to be passionate about church and not hard enough getting people to be passionate about you. And God, I ask you to forgive me because I haven't been where I needed to be. I haven't been devoted 
as devoted as I need to be. And so God, we just pray today, restore our passion. Like forgive us, but God, restore our passion. Fill us again with your spirit. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit burn in our hearts again. Lord, that place where we wake up thinking about you, where we go to bed thinking about you, where we can't wait to read the word of God, whether we think we're gonna understand all of it or not, where we can't wait to talk to you, where we can't wait to get to church, where we're so excited. God, where we're praying, use me instead of make me comfortable. God, I believe you called our church to change the world. I believe that. I believe you called everyone in this room to change the world. I believe you called everyone watching online to change the world, but God, we can't do it without passion. And so God, forgive us if we've let other things get in the way, if we've directed our passions in other ways, if we've gone after other things, maybe not even bad things, just stuff. God, forgive us if we've let sin come in and we've gotten comfortable with sin in any way. Show us that and forgive us. Lord, forgive us if we put anything in your place, in that first place. God, we want you to be first place. God, I want you to be first place in my life. Above ministry, above calling, above any type of measure of success, God, I want you to be first. And so, Lord, we just say, God, you are king. You are Lord. You don't have to come the way we want you to come. You don't have to work the way we want you to work. You don't have to do what we want you to do. But, God, we just want to know you. We want to be focused on who you are, not what you do or don't do. God, call us again. Let us sense your calling. God, we pray you would use us and use this church, especially this week. God, as we go out and outreach, use us. God, Monday night at prayer, let your presence come and use us. Lord, this weekend, Lord, we want to bring people to you, God. We we want them to encounter a resurrected Savior. God, use us. Use us as we pray. Use us as we go through our week. Use us as we witness and tell others about you. Let them see our passion kind of like Acts records about the first disciples. They said, these are they who have turned the world upside down. God, let that be our story, that we turn the world upside down for you, that people see our passion. And now, Lord, we know, we know that passion's a decision, so we make the decision and we say, God, we're gonna love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Come on, church, let's make that decision. However you need to make it, whatever you need to say. But God, this is me. I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my strength. I'm going to love you. And then let's ask this. God, you said, repent and do what you did at first. Show me what I need to do when I leave here today. I don't want to leave here having asked for passion and do nothing. I don't want to leave here having made a decision to follow you and with all of my heart and then do nothing. God, you show me today, starting today, this week, what do I need to do? Maybe I need to go home and read. Maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to talk to a spouse. Maybe I need to pray. Maybe I need to be on a serve team, a compassion team this week. Maybe I need to be on a serve team next weekend. Maybe I need to call a friend, invite them to church. 
Whatever it is, God, show. Maybe I need to be at Monday prayer at 6 p.m. Whatever it is, God, I don't want to leave here without knowing the next step, the next action that I need to take because I want my passion. I want to recover it, God. And passion comes from action, not emotion. Would you pray that, church? Would you just ask God, what do you want me to do when I leave here? What do you want me to do this week? Starting this week, God, what do you want me to do? God, I just pray you would use us. Lord, I thank you that you're so merciful, that you're so gracious. You didn't come to judge the church of Ephesus. You didn't come to judge Marty Stray. You didn't come to judge Pathway. You came to say, hey, you're doing some good things, but you've lost your passion. I see your duty, but you've lost your devotion. I want to help you recover it. I want to help you get it back. So, so repent and do what you did at first. God, thank you for being so gracious with us, so loving. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise today? Yes, God is so good. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.